Jaren Cacophony tells you that you're listening to the Power of Three podcast, the podcast that's made in Scotland from girders. I'm Kenny Smith and I'm the last man standing with Tom Harris and David Steele away, but that's us now in 90 episodes and somehow I've only missed two of that lot. So if you're starting to listen to us from scratch, hello Craig Brawley, then you've got a pair to look forward to. That's episodes 52 and 72 for those who are interested. But if, on the other hand, you like my dulcet, semi-skimmed Scottish tones, and if you're wondering where that description came from, it was the father of my Pieces of Eighth podcast co-host Rebecca Chapman, then you're in the right place. And, as ever, I'm keeping it Scottish, as this week the TARDIS is back north of the border. Today, we're chatting about The Curse of Lady Macbeth, which was one of the three stories in the latest Ninth Doctor box set from Big Finish. Lost Warriors. But before we go any further, let's hear the full trailer for the three adventures. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, the Ninth Doctor Adventures, Lost Warriors. Give it up! Give it up to us! Give it up that we might be satisfied! Do you suppose it's safe to be out of doors? Safe now, I should think. They only seem to come out at night. The stranger stared at the sheriff. What? 1925? Come on, I can't be far out. Look at the state of you. Look at the state of us. 1925? Why do you keep saying that? I want to talk about your butler. Stratton. Something moves in the mist. Don't look at it. Hello, ladies. I I do beg your pardon. I am Queen Kruach. Oh, you're much more than that. You're Lady Macbeth. Tell this demon to leave her home. Cast that. Tell him to get out of here. Well, we've attracted an audience. The pitchfork kind. I'm not afraid of you, blue man. I know what you bring, and I know your limits. Oh, I'm glad someone does. And the doctor. Doctor. Yeah, now, stand still, cos if that thing turns nasty, I don't want it to take your feet off. And lights. Roll camera. Actors, go. Look at it, the pinnacle of silent film. As opposed to what other sort? Your machine man. I need it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Herlang, I promise you will not regret this. You're making Metropolis. <laughs> of course. Everyone knows this. Fantastic. Fritz Lang. Actual Fritz Lang. I've got a knack. I'm good with lost things. I'm sure you are. Lovely and shiny. You wear men like us. Good God. <laughs> Big finish. We love stories. Hopefully you enjoyed hearing that, if you've not listened to it before. This has been an odd one for me, actually listening to stories I previewed in Vortex three months ago, just as I'm working on the preview of the fourth set, which will be out in February. The official summary for The Curse of Lady Macbeth reads, The TARDIS is drawn to Scotland again, to the troubled kingdom of Murray and its Queen Gruach, or, as the Doctor knows her better, Lady Macbeth. While some people believe she is the cause of the people's woes, she may yet become their saviour. So... How much do you know about the real Lady Macbeth? Like me, is your knowledge limited to the Scottish play? So let's meet its author, Lizzie Hopley, and find out more. I'm Lizzie Hopley, and I wrote The Curse of Lady Macbeth. First things first, are we allowed to say the name of the Scottish play, or would you rather we didn't? (laughs) I'm fine with it. 
because okay. I'm not in a theatre, I'm in a library. But yes, I have been in a production in a theatre and I said it and I shocked the woman who was playing opposite me so much. She actually fluffed her first line when she came on stage. She was like, so I take it very seriously. That's not like you to take anything seriously, Lizzie. <laughs> well, I just didn't want it to mess up the play I was in. <laughs> That's true. I was thinking very selfishly. <laughs> No, I respect other people's beliefs and superstitions a bit. <laughs> it, I do like that part. So let's wind the clock back to last summer. Do you remember where you were when you got the email asking if you would be interested in joining the Ninth Doctor party? Yes, I was boringly at home. But considering that I've been writing so many and so quick and so fast and becoming a real regular Big Finish writer, it's lovely to be asked sometimes to take these big steps up and you know that when something comes to you like this they're starting to trust you <laughs> or you're in, you're in a position where they go well let's hear a few of her ideas <laughs> see because it was still a pitch it wasn't you know an, an off it had to go through Chris Eccleston so it was the story he wanted to tell and then obviously through the usual channels so it was an absolute honour and I did think very hard about what pitches I was going to make in order to win <laughs> I suppose that because he has an association with Macbeth, that's something that would have you, you knew would appeal to him. It was going to be a Marmite thing, I think, with him, because I know with any play as an actor, and I don't know him, and he's done far more than me, you kind of sometimes finish something and go, I never want to touch that again, especially if you've been in a big lead as well and absorbed yourself like he does as an actor. He absorbs himself in everything he does so thoroughly. It was either something he'd like to explore from a different angle or else something he'd just run a mile from. So I did take a risk, but then I knew it was going to, it was an angle of the play that I was interested in, the actual real roots of it. And also he was meeting Lady Macbeth. So there was a different angle to it. It wasn't like I was getting him hopefully to repeat familiar ground. And before we started recording, we were chatting amongst ourselves about how much we love Macbeth as a play. And you first discovered it at school, like myself. Yes, I did. And I was just completely, I'm a big horror fan. So the themes just excited me so much. The language is extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. And that opened up the whole world of Shakespeare. I think if I'd been perhaps introduced to another play like Winter's Tale or Lear is fantastic but you know one of the histories I'd have gone mm. but you know this was this was Macbeth and the language is some of the most haunting and evocative you could wish for and, and where it's set as well it's so visual even though it's just words. Yeah and I think the thing that always attracted me to it was the fact that it's just as you say you're a fan of horror and there's so much gore in there, there's murder, there's blood, and it's very much got very, very strong imagery in it as well. Mm, absolutely. And it, you're not allowed to say a lot of that in Doctor Who, the BBC. So I kind of thought a lot of it would be implicit by the fact that it was tied to Macbeth. You've got free horror, <laughs> as it were. You've got that you're bringing that wealth of what everyone knows, the evil and the atmosphere just comes for free and you're just beginning to tell a story. So it was a, you know, it was a good little cheat in that way. In a strange yeah. way. But free uh, horror, thanks, Shakespeare. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's automatic. Free, free, yeah. free thrills and spills, and the spills are definitely yeah. in the blood. <laughs> I also noticed that it's not quite the Lady Macbeth 
that people may perhaps have been expecting. So did you do quite a bit of research into the period just to try and find out who the real Lady Macbeth would have been? I mean, I first heard about this. I was up in Edinburgh at the festival a few years ago, not that long ago, really. And I, I went to a lecture about the real Macbeth and it was a historian, Scottish historian. And I had no idea. And he was basically explaining where Shakespeare had got some of his ideas from, but telling me about the real characters and who they perhaps were. And I had no idea that Macbeth and Lady Macbeth did actually exist. And that obviously a huge amount of time had gone between them and Shakespeare, as between Shakespeare and now. So he just, as we all do, cherry-picked what he liked and fitted into a brilliant story. But to hear that the real Duncan, who is portrayed so much as the, the good man, you know, whose who's silver body laced with his golden blood, I apologise, Shakespeare, if I got that wrong. But, you know, he, he's the epitome of, of good and decency, which is why the act of killing him so evil, whereas actually in real life, he was an absolute sod. And Macbeth and Lady Macbeth were real pillars of their society. And Lady Macbeth took in orphans. And you're like, what? This is completely unlike anything I'd ever heard. So delving into that myth, and also I've, I've always had a great love of that whole period and a lot of modern Macbeths are set in different times and different wars, but the original warriors that that Shakespeare was talking about, that battle would have been gruesome, absolutely gruesome, fought with, you know, broadswords and fields of mud. And, you know, you're talking about a, a real harsh environment. So waiting at home for your loved one to come back from war was something altogether different. So the fact that she was this very strong individual without a life of her own within her community was just, was extraordinary. That was very exciting for me. I, yeah, I love how you've got this image of the Macbeth who want to, who, you know, who consider killing children, and then you've got the real life actually saving children. It's a wonderful contrast. Yeah, yeah, and I wanted that to surprise us right from the start. And obviously, having that brilliant beginning, how else to begin the first scene with <laughs> the Doctor meeting? three witches and then realizing one of them is actual Lady Macbeth and the wonderful thing about um, Chris Heppleston is that he approached he kind of reinvented the doctor as an excited child of science the inner child that we have in all of us and he pulled that off as a grown man with all of the depth and capacity for darkness that he has so to start the story off with him going wow Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. I mean, we feel his excitement. And of course, he is going to give that to the story. And that, that to me was just the perfect marriage because we can discover this history that we think we know through a man who enjoys discovering things he thinks he knows. Yeah. <laughs> Having been surprised, <laughs> which is just brilliant. You mentioned the surprise and delight in the Doctor when he's meeting Lady Macbeth. I take it you went back and watched quite a few of the TV episodes just to get that thrill, like when he meets Charles Dickens. Oh, gosh, do you know what? I did watch some of Chris Eccleston before I then started to write it, but to be perfectly honest, it was so lodged in my brain. He was so lodged in my mind, and I particularly didn't want to steal lines or moments. You know, I thought, I want this to be mine, and I think I know enough of what he bought. It's indelible. I mean, I've watched them all a few times, but I didn't need to. 
that's what was so lovely. I didn't need to. And I was really thrilled when I got feedback saying, yeah, this is his voice. Because very often as you're writing for different doctors, you're switching between the different ones. You kind of have to key into their channel and hear them in your mind. And you can get it wrong, you know, and sometimes you'll get your editor going, oh, it's not sounding very John or it's not sounding very Colin or whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, I didn't get that this time, which I was really happy about. (laughs) More writing. I suppose we should let the you know, point out to the listeners that while you do enjoy Doctor Who, you are first and foremost a professional writer and actress ahead of being a Doctor Who fan. I am, and it's really nice for you to say so. Actually, one of my first productions, I was at University of Manchester and then I went to drama school to Rider, but when I was at university, I put on a production of Macbeth and played Lady Macbeth. Probably one of the worst productions that ever would have been made. Um, and I was very, very green and just existing on passion for the subject matter, but I like to think I've got a bit better since then. <laughs> but yeah, I was just at the RSC before Chris Eccleston, then who's just starting to rehearse my back when I finished mine. So but we worked out in a, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but we talked very, very briefly online. And he was talking about Anthony Hopkins at the National Theatre and said he was an usher. And this was a production that I went to see when I was in school. So he said, oh my goodness, I will have shown you to your seat. <laughs> like, wow. But I mean, you know, I might have been in a different part of the building, but yeah, we he ushered that same production that I saw when I was in school and I probably walked past the young Christopher Eccleston. And if only you could get, literally do a Doctor Who and then go back in time, it's, it's criminal that you can't. <laughs> so you sat in in the recording when it was taking place and were able to hear it all coming to life I before your years? I listened from afar and it was actually a different recording to, to this one because it's very rare that they will allow the writers in. I think obviously because of COVID now, but also you're just an extra body in a room when your job is done and you need to be somewhere. You need to be contactable in case they need a pronunciation or a line change or an explanation. But really, you are just a pain in the bum. <laughs> Although you want to be there to see people read your stuff. I remember being in when Marina Circus recorded one of mine, which is, is going through different channels right now. And I nearly fell over with excitement and melted at her feet. <laughs> I didn't recognise it first, it's unbelievable. But yeah, they, they tend to keep us out of the way. <laughs> we just complicate matters. So I listened in from afar and heard his voice, which was enough for me. It must be frustrating, though, considering that sometimes you do write parts for yourself into your plays. And here you go, you set one in Scotland. You should have invented some English bird to show up in it. <laughs> well, you know, I do a good witch. But I wasn't <laughs> called on. I do excellent monsters. And now the thing is, the more popular Doctor Who gets, the more famous people want to come in and do bits and pieces on it. So you find the most amazing names hidden away. And, you know, to get a shoe in, it's really rare. But occasionally I will say, I'm playing this or everyone dies. But I haven't done that for a while because I've been writing so many, it, it just gets impossible. And also sometimes it's nice to write and hear other people bring your work to life. And I'm not as precious as I used to be. And also they use good actors. So, you know, yeah. a lot of them are better than me. <laughs> Very <Shoot>. few. <laughs> Talking of actors, you have got a fantastic cast for this one, haven't you? Oh, gosh. It's unbelievable when I was um, Matt fit and kept drip feeding them to me. And I think he and David like to tease me sometimes by dropping in the art. Oh, you know, we've got this person for this and we've got this person for that. And you just kind of... You can't believe it. It's like they're delving into a pot of... When you hear certain names, you just think, oh, I'm safe. 
that's how I felt when I knew my Macbeths were cast. I thought, I'm safe now. It's in safe hands. It's going to be fine. Or if, if they cast someone and you don't know them and then you look them up and you go, oh, Because <laughs> you, you just know some people are in a different league and I think this cast was just full of those. Yeah, you've got fantastic names. Anthony Hill, Neve McIntosh, David Rintoul. So fabulous. And David Rintoul, I, I, I worked with him at the RSC. He was in the show that I was in just before Chris took over. And David Rintoul is one of the most interesting, fabulous people. And who knew that he, he you know, he was in a, a massive, great big werewolf film. You know, he keeps so much under his belt, does, does old Rintoul. <laughs> He's one of the most incredible actors ever and one of the most modest. So the fact that he's playing Lady Macbeth's father, I mean, you, you just can't get a better cast than this. And I'm very annoyed that I wasn't in for the recording, but in a way, that's the best thing because now I can hear it and enjoy it and my brain can explode. And some great uh, turns as well from Lucy Goldie and Maggie Service as well. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And also what's tricky is that they're often playing a number of roles and are hidden away and having to change and what I love as well is is writing characters that aren't what they seem so that you think someone is quite wicked and then they turn out all ben, you know they're quite benign and then they turn out to be real the opposite and you have to you know big Finnish listeners are clever and they're they can be a step ahead of you and it's hard to write and stay at their level and sometimes surprise them and I really wanted with character, I really wanted to tell them a story where they didn't know who was going to turn out to be what. That was massively important. And also, it, it's fascinating to hear what producers have done with the son as well. They have a mute son. And his presence is like is so important, as is our monster. You know, creating these things through sound and presence where you don't hear it being vocalised is, is extraordinary as well. And that's just as important, kind of a part of the cast as everyone else. And I think it, there are some real surprises in the performances, you know, when you, you hear the turn of phrase coming from, you know, who you think is a, one of your witches. It, yeah. It's a lovely, lovely thing. It definitely wrong-footed me with the ending because I just thought, what on earth is going on? And of course, the Fuath is not what we expect. So, yes, definitely got me there. One no to Lizzie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's really important because... It's so hard to create a monster because there are so many of them. And I knew I wanted to kind of steal from Scottish fables and, you know, the, the, and folklore, but not in a way that was ordinary. And to me, well, I don't know about you, but when I first came across Macbeth as a story, the idea of evil struck me because I didn't know what that meant. So you, you're kind of, well, how is that manifesting? It's manifesting through the witches, but actually... Then you meet Hecate, but then is it a human evil? What What is this? You know, and then some of the speeches in the play, like Ross, you know, describing what this evil is doing to the natural world and it's making Scotland bleed. And you think, oh, I can get on board with this. That's a monster to me. It's a monster of evil. And yet then you have that concept of, of the doctors when he goes, who knows what this is? It could have been carried like a coconut on the water from an, another world or from far away in our world and we don't understand what it is. We read into it, as everyone has. They've read into the Macbeth story, you know, and completely reinterpreted it. Did it a bit. <laughs> I was going to say... It's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting. It I had absolutely no idea about the coconut, so that was quite fascinating. I had no idea. Yeah, 
yeah, these little things you pick up. I'm fascinated by science and natural science. And when I first found out that there are so, that coconuts literally do just drift across the sea and they can lie dormant for so long, then you think, what else is doing that? And we know that things can be in the body and suddenly be activated by all sorts of stuff. So science and, and biology is ridiculous. And, you know, when you blend that with science fiction and a really good story like this, you kind of go, ah, history and science fiction can have that perfect marriage. And you go, gosh, who knows what's been reinterpreted as a different thing and what's lying out there waiting to happen. I think that's quite a terrifying idea as well as a beautiful one. And of course, the doctor will look at it as a beautiful, fabulous thing whenever possible. So it was a really nice way. It was my first story for Christopher Eccleston and it was for his doctor. And it was a really, it, dare I say it myself, a really nice story to fit his particular doctor. Yeah, I could have written a story for the others and it would have been different, very different. But somehow it had to have him. This story had to star him in the middle of it. So I hope people agree. I agree. And there's actually, I don't know if you can hear this, Kenny, but there is the Mullican Tire is being played in the British Library through bagpipes. Oh, they've turned it down. I think it's because they've got Paul McCartney's lyric on display here at the British ah. Library. So they're playing McCartney songs because I just went, what? Firstly, music, British Library, weird. And now, you know, I heard the bagpipes and thought, ooh. So was it just when we were talking about a Scottish play? I know. Not the, well, (laughs) a Scottish play technically in this case. That's just uncanny. I know. And I'm from Liverpool. (laughs) It's combining. It could not have been more perfect. (laughs) So I assume that this play became available to download on the 23rd. You were straight on it to listen to. I haven't listened to all of it yet because I've had, I know, I've had, I haven't had a clear time when I haven't been interrupted by other things. And that, that's hideous. I've listened to, I've listened to the start of it about, no, I've only listened to the start of it twice. And then I thought I can't bear this because I kept getting interrupted by, I'm working on a show at the moment that is in rehearsal. And I'm also writing about six different audio adventures, Big Finish. I'm doing some work from the RSC as well. So I'm up and down on trains. I tried to listen to it on a train. And I just got so angry with the fellow passengers. I thought, I need to be in a darkened room. I need my proper, you know, Sonos device. And I need everyone else to just disappear. So I've been saving it for a time when I have ultimate silence. Because I, I think with this one, with others, I dip in and out and I go, I think that's in right. Oh, they got that. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's good. This one. So, and it's weird you should mention it because... I haven't talked about listening to others before in such a way. And I, ha- I don't think I've left one this long before now because I want to hear it in its entirety. I, it's one that I'm particularly proud of. And I want to hear the whole thing and go, oh, okay, I can let that go. <laughs> <laughs> I think I want to revel in it a bit. Is that, is that arrogant? I just want to revel in this one and I don't want to lose it. And there's something about an audio adventure as well in that the first impact is important. It's a bit like a film comes out and then you wait and watch it on telly. It's not the same. You have to have the full experience. And if I go to the cinema and people are being noisy, I'll just walk out and watch watch it another time. I'm that bad. I don't want anyone to ruin it. <laughs> so I want my first experience to be unadulterated. So 
I'll let you know when I've done that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, does that make sense? It does. I completely get the same because I, yeah. I don't. If I, there's something comes out that I want to really want to listen to, I'll make sure that I can do it in a winner rather than break it up yeah, and, yeah, do yeah. It, and do it and in segments. Takes- yeah, yeah, yeah. And even though it's an hour, you've got to be in the right mood. You've got to know that no one's going to interrupt you. And at, at the moment, I'm on call as a as a script surgeon for so many things that, yeah. you know, I'm listening to it. The next minute, your mum phones you and you're like, oh, seriously? So, <laughs> no, I'm in it. I completely so, get yeah. it. It does make complete sense. So I do appreciate you taking the time to have a chat when you could actually be listening to it. So, yay. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I've just come back from Stratford and I'm waiting to have a, a meeting and I've got two hours in between and I, I couldn't go home. So I just thought, well, I'll just bum around the library and then at least I'll know I've got, I won't be on a train when you're trying to phone me. I could yeah. find this nice little, look at you see, these are priceless books wow. the ceiling. This is the centre of the book. Have you ever been here before? No, I've never. Yeah, it, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And there's a whole centre part of the library, which is like the inner console of the TARDIS. Mm -hmm. And it's just packed full of priceless historical works that, you you know, nobody touches these things because they disintegrate. Great stuff. Stay safe, Lizzie. And thank you so much for joining us. Take care, you too. Not a problem. Anytime. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed listening to Lizzie, you can find her on Twitter under her own name. That's at Lizzie Hopley. That's L-I-Z-Z-I-E-H-O-P-L-E-Y. And for those of you listening in America, that's L-I-Z-Z-I-E-H-O-P-L-E-Y, where her biography where her biography describes her as actress, writer, scouse-born legend. I'm not gonna disagree. She is my pal after all. Now, this week I've also had a chat with actress Lucy Goldie, who appears in The Curse of Lady Macbeth, playing Kerstag and Lady Macbeth's son Lulach. So if you like some trivia. Stand by, because I'm just about to hit you with a load. In previous Power of Three episodes, we've called Paisley the Scottish capital of Doctor Who due to its connections with David Tennant, Stephen Moffat, Meade McIntosh and the Power of Three's own David Steele. However, rivalling it for the crown is the Royal Borough of Rutherglen, where I used to edit the local newspaper, the Rutherglen Reformer. Rutherglen had four connections to Doctor Who in the classic era, as Russell Hunter, Commander Yuvanov and the Robots of Death grew up there, as did Andrew Smith, the writer of Full Circle. Hamish Wilson, the other Jamie McCrimmon, lived there for most of his adult life, and Nicholas Parsons, the Reverend Wainwright and the Curse of Fenric, began his career in showbiz as an actor in Rutherglen Rep. However, in recent times, Big Finish have added actor Andrew Dickens to that list, having lived there during his time in the Navy, before he became an actor. Writer Donald McCleary, who has done A Lady Christina and A River Song, is another Rutherglen resident. And of course, there's now the lovely Lucy. Hello, I'm Lucy Goldie, and I played Kirstag and Lulach in The Curse of Lady Macbeth with Big Finish. Yay! Lucy, welcome to The Power of Three. Yay! <laughs> it's lovely to have a chat with you. Yeah, it's really nice to to talk about this. Um, yeah, the, the Scottish play and yes. um, the, this take on it, and and uh, another another fun job with Big Finish. Yeah. Yeah. Before we start, am I allowed to mention the name of the Scottish play, or is are you superstitious and you don't like it? Because I don't want to offend. I think it's okay because we're not in a theatre. I think okay. that's the rule: is that if you're in that play in a theatre I'm now saying that play it's like I'm nervous <laughs> of the, the curse but yeah 
it's, it's within a theatre, so I think we're okay. Okay, phew. Over just, the powers I'm... of Zoom. Chat. Yes, okay, <laughs> thankfully, and witchery doesn't extend to Zoom, so we're safe there. We're safe. We're Absolutely. Safe. You've done quite a few jobs for Big Finish now. How did you first come to be involved? And so I got involved with Big Finish through a friend. So I was living in London at the time and I moved into this flat with lots of Scottish people. We actually had a little tartan corner with iron brew and all this kind of thing always on the go. And a friend of a friend was John Culshaw, who is just such a lovely man. And we got chatting to him, you know, all about acting and working in radio and drama, audio plays and things like that. And he was like, oh, you must you know, get involved with, with Big Finish. And he kind of sent our details off to David Richardson and it was just so kind of him and um, and, and so lovely and just really great to, to work with them and all these fantastic scripts. It's been really good fun. Fantastic. John is an absolute gent and an absolute joy and I, I love him to bits. Great company and uh, yeah, spent a fair bit of time in his company on Zoom and on the phone over the last oh, 18 you, months or so. Lovely. He's, he's such brilliant. a he's such a nice man. He's just wonderful. He's got a Christmas song coming out actually. Oh. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a Christmas tune, which is very exciting. It's getting played on Steve Wright, I believe, on the, oh. the first of December. It's the, the launch. So That's there you go. Brilliant. I'll have to text him about that later, actually. So John Culshaw's Christmas song is John Culshaw presents Turk E. Curry This Time in Between. So it's the time it's all about the time in between Christmas and New Year. So mm-hmm. check that out, everybody. Certainly will. <laughs> it's a really cool wee song, actually, and it's got a nice animated video to go along with it. It's really good. Yeah, well, anything that gives John a push is good by me. Oh, he totally deserves it because he helps other people so much, which is really lovely. I suppose when you were asked to be involved with the curse of Lady Macbeth, obviously it's a joy, the fact you were able to work from home as this was done in lockdown, yes. and the fact that you'd moved back to Scotland by this point as well, I would assume. Yes. Well, it was very handy that it was in the, you know, I, I was in my home studio and able to record from here. So it was great. Yeah, it was really nice to be in Scotland and be, you know, tuning in over the airwaves with people all over the country to create the the Scottish play or the Curse of Lady Macbeth, the, the take on Macbeth. So, uh, yeah, it was really, really good, really good fun. And of course, you'd have been sworn to secrecy about the fact that Christopher Eccleston was recording at this point. Yes, absolutely. Yes, you've got to keep hush-hush with it um, until it's obviously launched and and revealed. It was really great uh, working with him. Actually, the the character uh, Lulich that I played was a mute. I didn't, I only had words at the end of the play, actually. (laughs) So it was a lot of the time, it was kind of the connection between Christopher Eccleston's Doctor Who and Lulach. So there was a lot of kind of listening to him and responding and it was really nice to to do these scenes with him as well. It was fantastic. I suppose that's one of the, the great joys about when you're playing a mute character. You you make the sounds but you don't have to do the voices. Yes, that's right. That's right. I mean, I guess it's almost trickier in a way because you're kind of thinking, when do I interject and when, do you know? So it's kind of a case of just, you're really, really having to listen. And of course you always really do with audio. That's what you've got, that's the the sense and it becomes almost like a heightened awareness. So yeah, I I was actually with with this play, I was actually called in at the last minute. I think that one of the actors had had a a tech issue. So so yeah, I got a phone call. It was like half an hour before we started recording it. So it was, 
it was definitely it was really it was so exciting and I like I was in the middle of drinking this cup of tea and I I never got to finish it. My cup of tea got cold because I just like raced around the house getting ready and <laughs> yeah. And then, I, and so I was kind of reading scenes in between and as we were going, you know, as some of it was almost like cold read essentially, mm-hmm. which it, it was nerve wracking, but a good, you know, a good experience and a good challenge. And, um, and Barnaby Edwards, he was directing and so he was really, he was so wonderful, just, you know, kind of giving me a, a a bit of a rundown before we would do each scene and just keeping me on the right track so that was really really good so they yeah. were they were so lovely they were just also welcoming yeah barney is just a wonderful warm human being just so dedicated and knows his oh, stuff and he's great, great to work with isn't he oh he's wonderful he's so generous and so like he just he's just so completely aware of what everyone's doing and where everyone you know and it's just especially in that situation where you know, usually you would have at least a, a week or a, a couple of weeks to you know know what's going on but I was kind of like oh um yeah I'll do it <laughs> um so but but I loved it and actually I'd played I played Lavinia in a Titus Andronicus years ago at Barden Botanics and um, so I suppose that maybe gave me some experience of that not talking do you know the making the noises and because she obviously has her tongue cut out and yeah so maybe that helped I don't know yeah (laughs) suddenly this actually makes sense now because I remember we were chatting on Twitter ages and ages and ages ago and you said that you'd been called in to do a job at short notice on Doctor Who and you couldn't say anything about it and all of a sudden this makes sense this is the one that's it (laughs) There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So that it was. It was great. It was really great yep. to, to get that call. Yeah. Fun. Had you performed in the Scottish play at any points? Well, I actually, I was asked this question at the inter- in the interview on the big finish uh, when I did the job, and I I said no, but actually, I suppose I kind of was when I was studying. We did a month at the Globe Theatre. And I was doing scenes from Romeo and Juliet, but there were other people in the course who were doing Macbeth. And I mean, what an amazing location to do that. It was incredible, the kind of atmosphere at the Globe and oh, it's just, it was it was a great experience. But they did the banquet scene. So I have been involved as a kind of person at banquet within the Scottish play. And I love it. I think it's such a brilliant play. It's so good. I, th- I guess it, like when I was at school and you would do all the Shakespeare's and stuff, it was just really exciting to find there was one of them was actually set in Scotland. I think that was that was exciting. And then I guess for that reason, it's maybe one of the ones I know a bit better. Because I did it at Cathkin High when I was at school. Oh, did you? Okay, you were at Cathkin, right? I was. Not that there was anything wrong with Cathkin, or indeed Stonewall. Both lovely schools. Listeners, oh, we're both from schools. the same area. But yes, we're talking Scottish <laughs> schools as we both grew up very close to each other. So, yes. Pick up South Lanarkshire. There you go. Yeah, whoop, whoop. <laughs> South Lanarkshire posse in the house. <laughs> Note to self, never say that again. I'm not cool enough to no. carry that off. Yeah, right. I'm just right. Didn't, Didn't happen. No, never happened. It must be you know fascinating to work with somebody like Chris Eccleston, who you know, made such a, a great impression as the Doctor when the series came back and has an incredible reputation in the business as being one of the most intense but also most professional 
fun people to go and work with as well. Yeah, yeah. He was just so lovely when we were recording it. I mean, because you, you chat away to people in between and like you're talking about what you had for lunch and stuff like that. <laughs> and he's just so, he's just very, very grounded, very real, lovely human being. And he, he was talking about how he'd been in a production of Macbeth. I think that was the very first thing he ever did. And he said that he, you know, he, you know, he felt he'd, there wasn't really theatre in his background as such. He felt he came from, you know, working class background. And then he was here doing this play and he just thought, wow, this is great. You know, he kind of fell in love with it and, you know, doing Macbeth. It's a great play. There's so much, there's so much atmosphere in it, I think. And, and the fact it's set in medieval Scotland, it's just, it's cracking, isn't it? It's really, really good. It is. And it's so quotable. I mean, I've not done it since I was at school. But I can still quote whole chunks of it, you know, fair, fair is foul and foul is fair. Oh, it's all it's yeah. all there somewhere. There's so many sayings that come from Shakespeare, actually. Do you know, like, there's yeah. lots of things bedded in that you're like, wow, that's where that originated from. It's, it's amazing. Who did you play in Macbeth? I got to do Macbeth. <laughs> I got, yes, I got, I got to, at school. Yeah, did it at school. Yes. Oh, that's so cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, no wonder. Just... Well, you. No wonder it's you know, in there. Do you know you, you had to, be on it with the lines. I'd imagine. Playing yeah. Macbeth. That was quite a lot for a high school student. Yeah. Hats it's off not... to you. I enjoyed I'm it. Impressed. I mean, it's only twenty nine years since I did it, but uh, yeah, it was good. It's about, it's about it time for a a remount. I think. Oh, I don't know. I think maybe leave no. the acting to the professionals. I'll leave that to. Well, you've yourself. got a great voice. You've oh. got a great voice. You're very kind. Thank you. You've got a lovely voice too. Oh, thank you. Vocal hugs. <laughs> <laughs> Something else I should perhaps mention was that when you were in the recording booth at home, you weren't actually alone, were you? You did have a bit of a bump for company. That's right. At the time, I was actually, I must have been quite far on. I think I was maybe something like seven months pregnant or something, which actually the... Do you know, I suppose the content of the piece with all the babies and newborns all, it was, it was a bit troubling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't, didn't set me up that well, actually. Uh, no, thankfully, all fine. So yeah, I, I've got a little seven month old now because we've come, yeah, we're seven months past recording time. So uh, yeah, he's, he's wonderful. He's a little smiley, gorgeous little gorgeous little man yeah. <laughs> um, I'm enjoying mummyhood very much and of course having the home studio means that you can still help out when Big Finish needs you hopefully with a little bit more notice next time <laughs> yes <laughs> yes uh, absolutely well it's it's great to to just be able to you know to to go come on from you know Glasgow <laughs> um, and and kind of create that world and you know we can all come together you know who knows maybe we will all be back in the studio again uh, soon but as it stands it's it's a great way of doing it you know and and you do you still feel like you get to know people really well you hear everyone's voices and you all have chats in between takes and stuff like that so yeah it's really it's really nice it's great and it, it also is very handy for having the wee boy as well I just jump in here and hand someone else a bottle for a while. <laughs> this way to be. Had you watched much Chris Eccleston on TV as Doctor Who beforehand or had you been working at the time? Um, I 
I I mean, I kind of had over the years seen him now and again, but I had seen him in other things more so, I would say, like in the Hillsborough disaster, the A-word, various, yeah, various other shows. Marine the he did just one series of Doctor Who. Is That's that? right, yep. Right, yeah. So that so it must be exciting for the fans him doing the big finish uh, audio actually hugely a huge so. thing really. It is. What did you think of the parts that you got to play? Oh, I thought they were I thought they were excellent. So, Kerstag is a she's kind of kind of quite a hot headed. She in the the opening scenes she almost starts out like a one of the witches if you like, mm-hmm. and then um, as it goes on she she ends up kind of rallying the troops in a kind of almost like a you know pitchfork type march battle mm-hmm. to the to the castle very much on i hope i'm not giving too much away i guess to people but she, she very much takes Macbeth's side in all of this and yeah she kind of she, she's quite hot-headed and quite very full full of fear i would say she kind of comes from a place of fear and she you know once once the blue man done away with so yeah that that's quite fun to be holding holding a pitchfork eh, at least you know visualizing that was was quite fun but the character of Lulak was was probably my favorite to play because he's he's just a very pure beautiful soul and i suppose that's the reason that he he kind of becomes a vessel for the evil to seep in and he of course doesn't speak until the end but that for that reason you know just kind of communicating through sound and breaths and little screams or reactions to things and it kind of makes you realize actually how much power power the wrong word how how vocally i suppose you can get things across even without text you know there's there's so much that you can from an acting point of view there's there's so many ways you can use your voice to to tell the story so actually without having text it allows it kind of frees you up and so you're really reacting and responding and listening and but I found him to be a, a very beautiful character. He's quite a sympathetic character, really, and he's drawing, he's he's a, he's painting all these mad visions, and no one really understands, but the doctor really taps into that, um, which is lovely. So they have a lovely relationship because he's trying to communicate and no one else really understands him or or is listening. Yeah, it was lovely. It's lovely to yeah. play. I'd imagine that you've heard the finished version by now. Actually not. I've not what? heard it. Which is which is crazy. I the I think they usually send a copy, which is so nice of them. Yeah. Um but yeah, I've not I've not Yeah, I was just I was looking back over it before our chat and I was thinking, I really want to hear it actually. Do you know mm-hmm. I want to because it's a very a very atmospheric one and yeah. quite creepy actually. It's quite dark. It is. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful a really, atmosphere. Oh, it's a wonderful script. It's absolutely brilliant. I just think it's it's amazing, you know, to take Macbeth as a starting point like that and, and just what she's done with it, I think is... Lizzie's a great writer, isn't she? She's, you know, her imagination and and actually to, it's quite nice to for Lady Macbeth to be kind of fleshed out and made um, a really quite a heroic character. Um, she's... it's quite a feminist slant, I think, on the, the original. So it's Had great. you heard much about the real Lady Macbeth or was what you knew limited to the play? What? Yeah. Which is all made up. Limited. Yeah, limited to the play. Yeah, completely. So, yeah, I, so I I don't know. Is there more of this tale that's 
kind of relates to, I mean, obviously it's sci-fi, but is there something of this that relates to the real Lady Macbeth? Well, apparently it's everything that's in this is based on the real Lady Macbeth. So she was, a, oh, wow. she looked after children. She was not a horrible person. She was in, you know, oh. she was involved with you know, women's rights and things like that, way ahead of her time and oh was goodness. not at all oh, an evil kind of murderous manipulator. Yeah, she's got a bad oh. rep. She does get a bad rep. I'm really glad that Lizzie Hotley is shouting the good shout and, you know, <laughs> writing her name. Because, oh, that's that's a real shame, actually, isn't it? Because nobody really knows that Lady Macbeth, I don't think. So... No, I didn't. No, I... Well, no, I'm, I'm learning it now. Thank <laughs> yes. you. Well, it's all in the, it's all in the CD extras, uh, Lizzie explains at all. She went oh, to... Right. She was up in Edinburgh at the festival and went to go and see a lecture when somebody was saying who the real Lady Macbeth was and that's where it all came from so she's researched it more and there we go so she's fantastic not evil which is great oh, to know it is great to know I'm oh twisted yeah, and distorted by an away. evil Englishman I'm blown <laughs> away by that and actually in in the script there is um it kind of the doctor is obviously kind of reflecting on the fiction and he's kind of like at some point I think does he say to I think it might be to Lady Macbeth he kind of says oh you're you're not as bad as fiction would make out or you know it, it's written better than that but it's the line to that yeah. effect um, so yeah that's quite interesting that she's actually taken taken the, the history which is less well known and made a story of that it's yeah well done her it's great it it's is really great so Lucy, yep. where can people find you on Twitter if they want to keep up with what you've been doing? It's at Lucy Goldie, capital L, capital G. It's not that hard. So yeah, just at Lucy Goldie. That's it. And you're a Lucy yeah. with a Y. A Lucy, yes, Lucy with a Y, Goldie, I-E. Yeah. Brilliant. Listeners, you can follow The Power of Three on Twitter. We are at Power of Three Pod with a number three rather than being written out in full. So please feel free to follow that and you'll get all the latest updates on our episodes. Lucy, thank you so much for your company. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for this. It's been so lovely and so lovely to kind of essentially kind of meet you considering we grew up in towns next to each other. It's crazy. Amazing. It is. And I think we should definitely go for a walk in Canvas Line Park soon and say hello. We should. That would be great. We'll grab a Costa on the main street and then. That head sounds up. good to me. In the old Royal Bank of Scotland building on the corner. Yes. Oh, so it is. Yes, in the back. Oh, people were up in arms at the bank was away, weren't they? Yeah. Actually, it was ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know if I can go in there because that was my bank when I was a wee boy and my first account was there. And can I go in and subs- you know, subsidise big business from. Removing a bank from the high street. I don't know. Now we've got a moral quandary. Ah, oh, maybe I we should maybe we we should just put the kettle on and take some thermal mugs or something. We'll that works. Do the right thing. That we'll works. Right that thing. works. That works. <laughs> so thanks very much for joining us this week. And it's goodbye from me, Kenny. And goodbye from me, Lucy. We're out of time and space, but being the power of three, we can't leave you without a song. Before we go, what are we going to play out with this week? Well, Lucy, I'm so glad you asked me that because given that we've been talking about Lady Macbeth and finding out she wasn't a manipulative plotter, we've learned she's all you'd ever want. She's the kind they'd like to flaunt and take to dinner. She's a lady. So over to you, Sir Tom Jones. 
Well, she's all you'd ever want. She's the kind I'd like to flaunt and take to dinner. But she always knows her place. She's got style, she's got grace. She's a winner. She's a lady. She's a lady talking about that little 